See, the hardest thing for me was leaving the life. I still love the life. And we were treated like movie stars with muscle. We had it all just for the asking. Our wives, mothers, kids, everybody rode along. I had paper bags filled with jewelry stashed in the kitchen. I had a sugar bowl full of coke next to the bed. Didn't matter. Didn't mean anything. When I was broke, I would go out and rob some more. We ran everything. We paid off cops. We paid off lawyers. We paid off judges. Everybody had their hands out. Everything was for the taking. And now it's all over. And that's the hardest part. And today everything is different. There's no action. I have to wait around like everyone else. Can't even get decent food. Right after I got here, I ordered some spaghetti with marinara sauce and I got egg noodles and ketchup. I'm an average nobody. Get to live the rest of my life like a schnook. Greetings, friends. It's Chapo coming at you on Thursday, May 26th. And today we will be delving into um, an if not forgotten, then certainly largely unexamined uh, piece of 90s lore that deals with celebrity scandal, the media, the police, sex work, pornography, a lot of things that have sort of, uh, in many ways, uncannily uh, sort of presaged the uh, current moment we're living in. I'm talking, of course, about Hollywood Madam Heidi Fleiss, and joining us to discuss all things Hollywood Madam and scandal-related is Molly Lambert, the creator and host of the Heidi World podcast. Molly, thank you for joining us. Hey, guys. I'm so excited to be here. All right. So just to start on the broadest possible terms, for, 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 for listeners, you know, most of our listeners are five years old, so they may <laughs> not have uh, remembered the, the Hollywood Madam Heidi Fleiss and the sort of... Uh, the tabloid-like fixation on uh, her case and uh, sort of infamy that uh, happened in the '90s. So, in like, in, the, in I guess, in like the the broadest terms, like, who was Heidi Fleiss, and how would you describe like the the, the Heidi Fleiss scandal? For sure, uh, Heidi Fleiss was a Jewish girl from Los Angeles whose dad was a sort of pediatrician to the stars, kind of a new age pediatrician, and she ended up becoming this sort of party girl and then a madam when she was in her 20s. And then she uh, sold sex to everybody in town and all over the world, and including some guys at movie studios. And the movie studio guys used movie studio checks to buy uh, sex. And then uh, she got busted and they made a big show trial out of it, basically, to be like, you can't sell sex in Hollywood, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, to be kind of like, this could never happen again, make this all go away. And I'm from LA, so I was just always very interested in the story. But I think it was also the first time it ever occurred to me, like, hey, why is this illegal? Like, I remember just very strongly being like, hey, I don't understand. Like, isn't a woman's body like her property? Can't she sell it if she wants to? And also like, why aren't the guys buying sex getting in trouble? Like, why is only the person selling sex getting in trouble? So it was just the first time I thought about a lot of that stuff. And it was right at the same time as the OJ trial. It was like literally next door to the OJ Simpson trial. Um, 
So I think I thought of them also as like these are these two big trials in L.A. that were kind of like a couple years after the L.A. riots and were meant to be sort of like, hey, L.A.'s fine now. Like, look over here. Pay attention to this instead. And instead, they both became kind of referendums on how much everybody hates the LAPD and how hypocritical, you know, everyone in L.A. is about this kind of stuff. Yeah. OK. Like, so there's, there's, there's a couple threads to pick up on. Um, I, I guess I'd first like to dive into uh, the way in which, that you know, like the, this kind of show trial and advertisement for the LAPD and Los Angeles itself happening right on the heels of like the Rodney King riots. Like, how do the LAPD use like Heidi Fleiss to like, I don't know, rebrand themselves or just like, hey, like we're keeping the streets safe from, you know, I don't know. Hollywood producers paying for sex on official, you don't know, Paramount Studios letterhead and checks. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think it, they were, that's what they thought it would look like, was like, we're cleaning up the streets. And you're seeing a lot of this stuff right now with like the Rick Caruso campaign, who's an absolute psycho, where, you know, this this kind of logic, like we're cleaning up the streets. Like, well, what does that mean? It means you're getting rid of sex workers and homeless people and then, you know, everybody marginalized. So yeah, I think they thought this would would be just like a great a great coup for the LAPD and for their publicity. And instead, everybody was like, "Hey, we like Heidi. Heidi seems cool." And speaking of like a like the, the I guess like the LAPD's attitude here, uh, there's a, a sort of like a code that they used, um, uh, which was NHI, which stood for No Human Involved. Um, that was basically uh, with the, the, the code for any time a sex worker, homeless person, or gang member was murdered. It was NHI was officially just like, uh, like, like you know, like in, in, the, in the LAPD itself, code for no human involved, not a real victim, don't need to care about it, not a taxpayer. Right. So it's like then when they come with the Heidi, the Heidi Fly stuff and they're talking this game about, you know, oh, yeah, we're, we're trying to like, we want to make sure women don't get hurt and, you know save the prostitutes and then the prostitutes are all saying like hey the way we want we don't want to be saved like we want safe working conditions and not to be you know arrested for doing our jobs well as long as you're talking about um uh the police and their attempts to uh cover their own ass for their own incompetence i mean like i would be remiss if i didn't bring up um this latest example of what just happened in texas right now because i mean like that that is the news story of the day is the revelation that um, you know, the heavily armed SWAT team of a town of like a few thousand people essentially allowed someone for about an hour to murder like 20 kids and did absolutely nothing about it. And I'm just wondering, like, I don't know, like, what, like, what do you what do you guys feel like? Is, is it is this going to undo all of like the sort of counter programming to like all the anger that people had about police, like in the wake of the George Floyd uh, protests? And also, like, the thing, I'm, the thing I'm really like disgusted by is like the way that like a number of people have basically openly said, well, the cops would have intervened or put their lives on the line to save these kids, but like not enough people were willing to give them credit because like people have been so mean to them recently. So they're like, I okay, think, we could have we could have stopped these kids from being killed, but like you know, if only you've been uh, nicer to the cops, they would have done their job like they're supposed to. No, I mean, I think that there are you just find out that there are people who like you can show them a video of what is happening. You know, that was the thing with the Rodney King trial was there was literally fucking video footage of like this happening and there are still people whose belief in the cops and whose belief in like you know fascism basically is so strong that they don't care what really happened they just want you know the narrative of like well the cops are the good guys so they would have tried to do the good thing and somebody must have stopped them so like a lot of what i've seen is like 
I don't know. I saw, I saw an argument from someone where I understood the point he was trying to make, where it's like, well, like that they, they responded like how normal people would if faced down with like an AR-15. Like his point was that AR-15s are like so uniquely dangerous that uh, like anyone anyone would just turn tail, basically, like the cops did. But it's like we saw what normal people would do is the teachers that like ran into gunfire and died for their students. Like at some point, like people have to face up to the fact that like cops are more cowardly and more selfish than like any randomly selected American, like like definitely teachers in Texas, but like really anyone. It's why they have to have a gun to leave the fucking house. (laughs) Cause they're, they're, they're fucking, incredible pussies and it and it uh because well, they need a they need a, need a stunt penis yeah if they, they penis, can't be if they're on the outside so everybody can see that they're carrying it around if they could if they can't be assured by the law that any altercation they might get in uh in a, their daily life will not be they can't end that by just killing somebody and getting away with it then they don't want to even have to deal with people they don't have the spoons <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and also like i mean just the um uh, the, the, the the angry like sort of like um like counter programming to uh like you know American citizens and their totally justified anger at police killings is like you don't understand how hard this job is you don't understand that we put our lives on the line every day and that if I fear for my life I'm like wholly wholly justified in just in, in just gunning down someone in that in that split second if I if I fear for my life for even an instant well look. That, that's what you get paid for. And that's why you have like the Swedish pension plan of like any fucking public worker. So like in a situation where like, yeah, like we have cops to like theoretically so that you would have to put your life on the line and then you don't. It's sort of like, well, what the fuck? Like, you know, if you want all this reap all the rewards of people never questioning you and always kissing your ass, it like when it comes time for you, like to like per- perhaps die in the line of duty and then you don't fucking do it in a situation where like dozens of kids are being fucking killed. Like, what is the fucking point? Like, why are we giving you all of this military hardware and fucking like, you know, uh, guns and fucking body armor and shit if you're not going to like use it? I'm also in this group, No Olympics, you know, which I think we've been on before. Talk about that. But it's like the Olympics in L.A. in 1984 also were like one of the first times they started kind of giving cops this full SWAT team military, you know, taken from the IDF, literally like like military training. We've just seen it get crazier and crazier since then right it's like they're always just like okay we gave him a cool tank now everything's going to be fine and yeah you've just seen time after time that like they they don't do shit and and the more stuff they have to cause violence like the more violence there will just be and i think like i don't know i think in a situation like the thing that just happened in texas that's such a fucking tragedy where it's like people have this fantasy about like how it'll go of like the cops will save everybody. And then that doesn't happen. And the idea that it could be because the cops are like bad or like, it just becomes this sort of like, well, it's a senseless tragedy. Nobody could have done anything. Well, I mean, the cops were doing something. Uh, they were pepper spraying and tasing that? the parents who were um, trying to enter the, trying to save their kids. I mean, it's like, it's just indescribable. Like, it's just like, uh, yeah, you have all that, uh, the body armor and lethal force to arrest like a teenager for smoking weed, but then like to prevent a mass murder or something like that. It's just like, oh well, I you know I, I feared for my life, so I wasn't going to do anything. No, we just live yeah. in fucking RoboCop world, and it is a nightmare. I could just imagine like they were all outside looking at the building, and they all know that they pussied out. They all know that everything they think about themselves and everything that they 
uh, get told by culture every day is true about themselves is a lie. And there they are just standing with their dick in their hand, getting all colicky. But then, ooh, they see the parents getting upset and like running. Oh, great. Now I know what to do. Just fucking bust out some pepper spray and take out all of that uh, uh, anxiety on them. I, I don't have to think about it if I can do the one thing I know how to do, which is just push people around. Right. And it's zero like a, threat to myself. There's it's zero such a danger. fucked up situation. And for the cops to come in and make it even more fucked up somehow, it's just like it's unfathomably bad. These people, like, they won't lose their jobs. Like, they won't even be, like, transferred or anything. And, again, like, literally, if this if this equivalent situation happened with literally any other type of person, like, if an auto mechanic was in a situation where, like, his not changing tires, like, got 19 children killed, like, anyone would kill themselves out of shame by, like, now. You'd think. But, but th- these guys won't. That none of them will. No, they're all American heroes now. I mean, like, yeah, like it's just like, um, like I, like, I had to bring this up, like, in the context because, like, you know, I was like uh, uh, researching the Heidi Fleiss case, and then, like, you know, I was, I was, like I said, interested by the the, the way in which that this became like such a media promoted ske- uh, spectacle, um, in a way to kind of like sure. yeah, exonerate the police department for yeah. for, for like their role, in, and, and you know. Part of the reason they busted her was because she didn't bribe the cops, which is what every other madam did. Every madam in history in L.A. had a special relationship with the LAPD where they provided them with free girls and, you know, gave them a kickback. And Heidi didn't do that because she didn't like the cops because a friend of hers had been murdered uh, just by a random dude who was like a, a serial rapist. She was like showing an apartment and this guy raped and murdered her. And Heidi was like, okay, like, I need the cops to find the guy who murdered my friend. And then kind of realized they weren't going to do anything. You know, she was like, calling them all the time, like, hey, what's up with my friend's murder? And they were like, yeah, we're working on it, you know. So she was not, she was pretty anti-cop just anyway, because she was like, they don't do anything. They don't do the thing they're supposed to do, which is get my friends. And then, then she went on America's Most Wanted to say, hey, help find my friend's murderer. And that's how they found them. The guy came forward because he was like, oh, shit, I saw America's Most Wanted and I, it's me. So, you know, she saw that like the media, doing media herself got results more than anything the cops were allegedly doing. So, you know, I think with this too, it's like the LAPD really set the fucking tone. They are the blueprint for this kind of nightmarish militarized a police department that's accountable to nobody and who can't be taken down no matter what for some reason, you know, because they're just like, that is all LAPD invented all that shit. And, and uh, what's his name? Parker, the head of the LAPD. Bill Parker. Yeah. Like he, Whiskey Bill. he really pioneered all this nightmare world that we live in. But yeah, one of the things too about this case is that I, I just from doing organizing know that the LA times you know, is in the pocket of the LAPD and will print whatever the LAPD says happened. And so you also can't trust the LA Times. You also can't, you know, like everybody's in with the LAPD. And so I think you guys do a good job also of just kind of like, well, what actually happened? Like, we know what these, you know, the AP is saying now about, but like, I I think people online too today are like, even really kind of like lib people I've seen today being like, what's up with the missing audio tape in the Texas thing? Like, uh, 
almost like the cops are covering up shit. Or like, yeah, like the, the, these press conferences they just did where they're just like just blatantly lying. Like they cannot even get a good liar out there to fucking cover their asses. Yeah. And during the Heidi Fleiss trial, it was like they were telling conflicting lies and then they had to get their people together and be like, Beverly Hills cops are saying something and the LAPD are saying something else. And like, it's all not true. It's all connecting other murder cases to the Heidi Fly story because they were like, someone's got to be dead. Something bad has to have happened so that we can say sex work is bad and nobody should ever do it. And that's not what, what was happening. It was like, nobody did die. People did drugs, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like the narrative pushed towards like, this is bad and here's why it can never happen was so insane and and there's never a turn towards like yeah it's just like they never say the obvious thing which is like what if we what if we decriminalize sex work what if the cops didn't have fucking tanks anymore like they've shown that they don't do anything good with the tanks and don't know how to use them i mean i, I wasn't aware uh, of the fact that um she she was the only the only one running a like sort of call girl service or escort ring whatever you want to call it who, who didn't bribe the police because i mean like like in, in one way like that makes her such a an attractive target but like it, it is funny that like for the uh like and like any major city police department to uh um, make this the issue of public safety given how notoriously and historically uh police officers themselves have been you know quite frequent uh patrons of the uh sex trade or use it as a form of currency among themselves and like, you know, on the streets. Yeah. I mean, I think they just think people don't know that and won't, won't care, you know? And again, it's just like, if, if you're a person who believes whatever the cops say, then the cops will just say whatever. They're just going to lie and be like, well, you better just listen to whatever I'm saying, even though it's blatantly untrue. Cause like, that's how we preserve order. I want to return though to, um, like uh, uh, Heidi's like like upbringing and family background is just sort of like a way of sort of positioning like you know what what made her um, such an uh, like a, an effective like villain in like the public imagination because she was sort of like this rich party girl from a kind of like very privileged background and like that her your father was this kind of like pseudo new agey like uh, like doctor and you know like Molly like from a certain context one could look at this story as like a, you know, like a, a, a warning about the perils of overly permissive parenting. Like, could you talk about Heidi, Heidi's parents and their, and like their sort of general parenting philosophy? Yeah. I mean, I think it is also a little bit that, like, I'm also just obsessed with like the children of the, you know, the failed leftist revolution in California. It's like, these are like the eighties kids who are like, okay, well, our parents are all hippies. They all wanted to make the world better and it didn't work. So now, we're going to go full-blown nihilism and just do whatever we want. But pretty much everyone in the story, like I come back to Charlie Sheen a lot too. And Charlie Sheen is another like just, yeah, child of hippies who like maybe had too much freedom as a kid. And but yeah, I don't know what I think is interesting about this story too, is it's like, I, I don't have any like hard feelings about like, no, that, you know, that this is why kids should have boundaries and rules. It's like, I don't know. I don't know how to raise a kid and have them not be become a crazy person. Like, it seems like no matter what you do, it's like they're going to just turn into you, you know? It's a roll of the dice one way or the other, that's for sure. Uh, yeah. I will say, though, uh, her father was an anti-circumcision activist, so in that regard, I think he's doing a great job. And He was uh, like a, he wrote a, he wrote a book about it. Being <laughs> really? Like, yeah, being like, <laughs> you know, I've been robbed of my foreskin. How do you, where do you guys fall on the circumcision debate? Leave it those is, boys alone. Yes. Yes. No, I'm 1000% uh, against it. What's the it. Chapo breakdown? Is anybody, is anybody? Uh, 
So not circumcised. Will amazingly growing up on the upper fucking west side of Manhattan, the only one in a fifteen block radius with a foreskin somehow. <laughs> we've were compared your our dead. We, we've were your parents anti-circumcision hippies? I, I, no, I mean, like, I, I guess they just had the uh, the the humanity and foresight to realize it was an entirely unnecessary medical procedure. <laughs> See, fe- now Felix, Felix is circumcised. Obviously, he's nine hundred percent Jewish. Yes, but I am zero percent fucking Jewish, and I got fucking circumcised because when I was born, the conventional medical wisdom was, "Oh, it's cleaner," <laughs> <laughs> and so. My mom gave birth to me. They popped me out and they're just like, you want us to go in? And they're just like, yeah. And then they put a little metal cone on the end of the dick, like the, the, uh, the cap for uh, the electric chair. <laughs> and they th- twist a little bit. Of th- I didn't get any of the ritual. I didn't get b- brought into a community like a 5,000 year old tradition yeah, tied your- to like, well, like literal I, God. I didn't really. I didn't really either. Like you it was just like, come on, you oh, well, got no, no, okay. Your, well, no, no, no. Like, just, just by living, just by well, yeah, by living. living well, family. by living, exactly. yeah, by living, yeah, by knowing like about Vassar College by the time yeah. I was sick, I knew that. that. But the like, knowledge my actual circum, my actual circumcision was like just some woman, <laughs> which like you know that's not the religious kind. That <laughs> it wasn't a rabbi. So if, if it was just no, it was just some woman. Wasn't even a doctor. Some broad. Yeah, I I fucked her. Um, <laughs> also, so it was not religious. No, it was it was like a it was like a woman that like a doctor. I think. I do think it's really <laughs> interesting. Like, like, well, it is crazy uh, to think about. Maybe. Like, at what point did they start circumcising everybody? Like, that's the thing too. Some of his views, I'm like, like he's definitely wrong on some stuff, but some of the stuff too, it's just like, well, again, like who knows? Like, I don't know. Like. They had tried raising children by like never being nice to them for a million years and that didn't work. So then they it's were like, true. let's be really yeah. nice to them. And then it was like, oh, no, we were too nice to them. I don't know. You really can't win because the thing you is, can't win. your your uh, you know, your approach to parenting is going to end up determining how they end up reacting to the world way less than the material conditions that they're going to encounter. That's well, right. You so can yeah, only provide them think, like a I don't think Heidi, package. I don't think Heidi was a party girl because. Uh, her dad was an anti-circumcision doctor. I think it was because she grew up with all these Beverly Hills rich girls. And so she was like just incredibly jealous of people who were more privileged than her because she was like upper middle class. Dad's a doctor. She's doing pretty good. But she hung out with these girls who had like so much fucking money. And it was the 80s. You know, it was like, that's what everybody wants. And again, just kind of like to rebel against your hippie parents that just want you to be happy and not materialistic, like by being like, I'm going to be the most materialistic person in the world, but also just like, she's so good at making money. It's crazy. Well, I want to get into like the way, a lot of the ways in which um, Heidi Fleiss um, sort of uh, anticipated the kind of like uh, girl boss grind set, like hustle culture. But uh, I want to go back around to like the, I mean like the, the sort of like California ideology and permissive parenting, like, I, 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 when I was reading about it, I was like, I, I, I do like that there's a certain somebody's a philosophy of like, don't punish and also don't reward your children. But then I read the incident where she like got drunk and flipped the Jeep her parents gave her, nearly severing her sister's arm. And they were like, okay, well, we'll just get you another Jeep. Don't do that again. It's sort of like, I feel like maybe some, maybe it's time to take the car keys away at that point. Right. Like that's also rich parent stuff too, to be like, oh, you fucked up. Well, let's give you more stuff. And maybe that'll help. Maybe that's, that's what they do with the cops. <laughs> Well, I mean, like, you know, maybe be safer for the, the eight people inside it when she rolled it. 
But I like I just once again like you said you were like interested in like you know you grew up in in LA and like you're interested in like the like California is sort of like the real terminator of like the American dream and American possibility that really represents like the culmination but also end of like the dream of America and also like in the, like the the post hippie era like going into the 80s like how like That's in, what I in love. California in, in California like all these things like the the Esalen Institute and like you know uh, nude therapy and these these kind of like um, like hyper individualistic ways of like uh, taking the failed dream of like a like you know leftist revolution in the sixties and turning it like turning it inward in this like very like self focused uh, sort of new age new age era. Right, like I'm obsessed with that because I think that's where the revolution fails. Right, is when everybody stops doing anything collective and it turns into let's all become the best versions of ourselves and i don't know if you guys know there's like a i don't know if i believe it but there's a theory that the cia invented acid for that reason that they were i mean certainly utilized it well they were like we gotta get the hippies we gotta get the hippies to stop like threatening to blow up the banks and stuff and the stuff that's actually gonna like do stuff and get them to just chill out have a nice vibe at the same i mean it's also just the consequence of you know the broader left just cracking up and not being able to affect anything for uh, sure but like if, if you're if you're that situation the the only rational thing to do is to try to work on yourself because you know yeah what, i mean what else, I, what else what fruitful action can you engage in yeah i mean there's a it's it's crazy though because i do feel like also the mythology of it has gotten so like you know there's this kind of idea that the 60s ended in la with the manson family murders and that that was like the end of innocence and, you know, people closed their doors and, and hired security and stuff. But Mike Davis, who is, you know, who would know, he was like, well, that's not what happened. Like what happened is that the CIA assassinated the Black Panthers in Los Angeles. And, you know, like it, it wasn't just like, oh, everyone's tired of trying. So now we're going to like go inside. It was like, no, the government was trying to crush all this stuff. And especially in L.A., it's like like in Berkeley, you know, they kind of revere their history, even if they don't do anything about it. It's like they have plaques and, and you know, talk about the 60s a lot. In L.A., it's very like, let's pretend this never happened. Let's pretend that this never ha- that the Watts riots never happened. And then let's pretend that the L.A. riots never happened because we can't actually like deal with all the fucking shit here and be like, Hey, this is like a really racist, really segregated, really extreme in terms of class place. And because it's LA, there's always this focus on like, well, what does it look like for a camera? So, you know, the Heidi trial too, they were just like, and and the OJ trial, it's like they were like, let's show that LA is like a place where law and order prevail. And then people just rejected the narrative with both of it because they were like, well, you know, with the with the OJ trial, it was just like, again, they were like, well, why are they busting this one rich black guy when white guys, rich white guys are like getting away with murder, you know, in many ways, like every day here? Yeah. And uh, just just a, just a bit of advice. If you are a rich white guy interested in murdering your wife, buy a boat. I am fully convinced that like rich people own boats so that they can murder their spouses. That is 100 percent like, oh. true. I mean, also. <laughs> There's like, I feel like people think there's no law on the ocean, which is, that's like what the Scientologists uh, uh, kind of say. A, it's, it's a maritime law. It's a well, right, maritime law. law. <laughs> but that's why the science, that's like why L. Ron Hubbard was obsessed with like going to the sea because he was like, fuck these earth rules. 
we're going to go to the ocean where the law can't find us. And I really think that's what Elon Musk is, is thinks too. I think he, I think he thinks there's no laws in space. Well, I mean, there are no laws in space technically, but what right. there is, is a, is a ton of solar radiation. So, I mean, you know, it's like, take, take, pick your poison here. I think Elon Musk thinks that like, as soon as you get to space, you can like fuck a kid and it's okay. Cause there's no rules <laughs> in space, you know, that would, I mean, uh, the late, the, yeah, the, that, that would seem to point to their, that's uh, the libertarian the dream is to fuck children <laughs> in space and no one can tell you not to cause you're in space now. And, but also have a space force to protect your space property. <laughs> yeah. I love um, reading about what actually happens when you go to space because it is like it's your every, brain melts. You just die. You like it's you just, just die. There's no way. To, yeah, it's like everything. It Nobody's going to Mars. Hostile. Yeah, yeah. I love exactly. the idea of all it. the, the rich guys it. going yeah. to Mars and just their brains melting. It's just total recall. Everything is just the worst Paul Verhoeven version of reality we could be living in. We could be living in the Benedetta reality right now. Oh, and, God, you know, that reality dream. is. That Did you guys all watch Benedetta? Oh, baby, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, the Felix, message of that quiet. Movie, no. Felix is being <laughs> quiet. Felix, take a, take a night for yourself. Make it run a bath. Treat yourself. Benedetta. Felix uh, has a very strict quota. He can only watch three new movies a year. What if I told you it's about lesbian nuns having crucifix sex and it's the best movie ever made? That sounds gross. <laughs> what, if you, what if you get what if you get a splinter in there? That's disgusting. I don't want to see that at all. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, it well, just, yeah, me, it means nothing to me. I mean, like, I guess, I guess, for you know, a lot of people, uh, their parents made them be Catholic. That movie would, be, I, I don't know, a nun's just like a nun might as well be like one of the professions that Tom of Finland drew. That's how little it means to me. I don't really care. <laughs> hey, uh, what was what was uh, what was one of Tom of Finland's number one professional uh, portraits? That's right, the police. All yeah, Tom of Finland's are bastard police, sailors, construction workers. They're all bastards. But it's you like, you're, <laughs> but it's, if it's about your object, you're you're containing them in the frame, you're putting the jackboot <laughs> in the frame. Well, I mean, to, uh, to to refocus back from like the Verhoeven world we live in, actually, like uh, the message of Benedetta is, I think, uh, one that is uh, similar to Heidi Fleiss's story in a lot of ways, because I think the message of Benedetta is that if you are a hot woman, you can and should be allowed to do whatever you want. And this is sort of the world that Heidi Fleiss came out of, like, you know, you're coming out of her sort of like new agey parents and then being among uh, people who are even wealthier than her family in Beverly Hills and just having access to like just like everything as like a teenager and like, like, and, and, and of like, you know, like sex, celebrity, money, all of it. Like, but how did she go like, from that? She was kind of a dork. It's like she molded herself into this thing. And a lot of people in Heidi world are, are guys, especially that were like nerdy guys who molded themselves into like the coolest guy in the world that they could think of, especially like Don Simpson. So Heidi was also like, she was like kind of an outcast in high school. She wasn't like popular and she, I think just seemed like a very insecure, like, you know, she, she isn't like a California beach blonde. She was like this kind of like big haired Jewish girl, which again, is probably why I was like into the story is because I was like, how did this big haired Jewish girl become like the most powerful, uh, the coolest person, the ever. coolest woman in the world. But yeah, I mean, it's like, she really did have this, it's like she went to a sorority party early on. And so the Heidi girl mansion is really like her idea of like, a sorority house of like someday I'll be popular and living with all these other hot girls and we'll all have fun and be friends. 
And then she like made that the reality. And she did it. Yeah. There's no I more mean, powerful uh, cultural engine like pushing people along in life than the desire to experience as adults what they were not able to get at high school. A hundred percent. That yes. defined their desire. That defined and, what it is to want anything. And then you get a chance to do it. That's what else are you going to be looking I mean, for? What else are you going to try to do? That's fucking Hollywood too. So yeah. it's also yes. like she was playing to these guys who she knew didn't get laid when they were younger and were now trying to make up for it by being like the fuckingest guys in the world. And that she could, and also that they had this yuppie guy idea of like, if it costs the most, it's going to be the best. We don't know. We don't know that sex you have for free with a woman who likes you uh, <laughs> might be just as good, if not better, than sex you paid $5 million for, you know? Because they were like, if you pay $5 million, if you pay $4,000 for a night, but it is also like it's a placebo effect. It's a psychological effect. If you think it's going to be the best because you paid the most and also it's just like they're hot girls and you're a guy who can pay for sex and it makes you feel powerful like she understood how to play these dudes and that's also what was so smart about it was that she branded it as like it's better than everyone else because it's the most expensive so like so so how how did she go from being like you know uh, you know like Somewhat of an outsider, but also like an extraordinarily uh, like smart young person who like you know like uh, you know, just didn't really apply herself in school, but was obviously very intelligent and like you know ambitious. Like, how did she get involved in the world of like the sex trade, and particularly like in, in the marquee, like because like basically like all of Hollywood is the sex trade in one way or another. Like they are right, selling right. sex. They they are selling sex. They're selling. I mean, if not literally, then like the they're they're selling the. The, the, the symbol the or the image. idea. Yeah, of, they're yeah, selling exactly. the, the, the image of beautiful women who you might be able to have sex with. That's like how everything is sold. And everybody knows that. And she understood that. But she was just kind of, uh, she had like her more famous friends. So her best friend was this girl, Victoria Sellers, who was Peter Sellers' daughter, who she partied with a lot. Um, and then this girl, Jen Young, who was the daughter of this actor, Gig Young, who had a crazy murder-suicide and is fascinating. Um, but she she met this guy, Ivan Naj, who's this slime bag Hungarian producer um, who was kind of a hanger on. He like started out taking pictures of Buffalo Springfield and then, you know, just like a guy who hung out in L.A. and became a producer. And he introduced. Is that how, is it, wait, is that how easy it is to do? Because, you know, like, I mean, we're trying to. We're, I, I need, Dude, we, you I, guys, yeah. I, literally everybody <laughs> in Hollywood, everybody in Heidi World. I didn't know this going in, but every producer is a criminal. Everybody in Hollywood started as a criminal and then became successful. And I mean, like I do a little sidebar about Arnon Milchan, who maybe you guys know about. He's a former Mossad and he uh, smuggled a bunch of nuclear weapons uh, f- from America to Israel and, and then started new, then started new not, regency <laughs> um, and produced movies such as JFK <laughs> and uh, LA confidential. And most Two recently, great movies. Most recently, wow. The North Man. He produced all the okay. best movies. This guy's That's got crazy. taste. He can sell as <laughs> yeah. many fucking weapons as he wants. That's what's so funny. Build and then in twenty in my backyard, if you in twenty thirteen, somebody coming. somebody outed him as Israeli intelligence, and he was like, "Yep, it's true." <laughs> like, <laughs> I did that, but now no, I've been a absolutely. producer. <laughs> Get um, out of jail free card on that one. Um. Yeah, you guys need to start hanging out at weird clubs and just, uh, you know, offering people deals. But yeah, she met this guy, Yvonne Naj, who he also like he was out of out of directing at that point, out of 
really doing stuff in show business and just a full-time sports bookie. And so she was a gambling addict and she started betting with him. And then somebody lost a bet. And it's a little bit everyone has a different story. But he introduced her to this madam, Madam Alex, who was running LA at that time. And basically, she apprenticed with Madam Alex and learned how to run an escort business. And then Madam Alex got busted and Heidi took over. But uh, Heidi herself never, um, like, you know, turned tricks herself, right? She, like she just, she sort it of depends. Like it kind of depends what day you ask her. I think she didn't turn tricks when she was running Heidi, her own business. But I, I think she did turn tricks when she worked for Madame Alex at first. And then she was like, I don't think the turning tricks is for me. I want to be on the managerial side. And then she was. And like, what, 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 like, and what made her so good at being What made her so good at Madame. all this stuff is that she was just an incredible talker. And so... She was incredible at talking people into doing things for her, talking people into like giving her money. She was just really charismatic. And I think also what I loved about her is that she's not like the hottest chick in the world. She's just the most charismatic person in the world. And also these Hollywood guys are also all like fucking hustlers. And so they love her. A lot of them are older. She loves older men. A lot of them are Jews. She's like a you know a young hot Jewish woman. They love her because they're all fucking bullshitters, and so she's one of them. You know, she loves guys like Robert Evans because it's like she's also just a hustler, and they love her because they're like she will give me you know so she, she was someone who could young girls. She was someone who could actually bullshit a bullshitter. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's one thing I've learned in my life is that nothing they like more than to be topped which is why I'm on this podcast today asking you guys if you're circumcised. <laughs> Did my parents circumcise me? No. Did I regret it as a child? Yes. Have I come to accept it? Also, yes. <laughs> I do think it's really interesting because it is like men have feelings about it. It's like the one time that men, their agency is taken from them and they don't get yeah. to decide. And uh, It's true. I know some guys who are really, really angry about it because they're like, Think about they all the be. sexual pleasure I've been robbed of that I could have been having. Yeah, think about all the money wasted on hand lotion. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, let's get into like the you know like the the let's get let's let's, let's talk some let's talk some bold names. Let's talk some celebs here because you know like a big aspect of this story is her little black book of the names of many of Hollywood's most powerful and famous people who were uh, patrons of her services. So, like, who are are some of, like, uh, the people that got pulled into uh, this scandal and also who largely never faced any consequences for it? Yeah, not only did they not face any consequences, like, some of these guys, you look them up and they're still working in Hollywood, but also a lot of people didn't even get named. Like, I think a lot more... Basically, I think everybody was involved. And this one guy, Michael Nathanson, was the fall guy, basically. But he didn't even get in trouble. He got another studio job right after. Heidi named a bunch of people in a Vanity Fair story and then took some of them back. Uh, she named Charlie Sheen. I feel like we can all talk about Charlie no. Sheen hiring No, wait, no, I don't, wait, I don't buy, uh, uh, I don't buy it? that. It poppycock. <laughs> <laughs> but at the time, it was the first time it was, it was like, scandalous. And, and I, I get into this a little bit, too, but, like, one thing that's likable about Charlie Sheen is he dated a bunch of porn stars when he was like the biggest actor in the world, which is like, I think, cool. He dated Ginger Lynn Allen and Heather Hunter. Um, but it, yeah, I, I mean, who else? James Caan. Um, the big, big ones. 
Yeah. The big ones I like, uh, Billy Idol, who said he didn't, he, there may have been sex, but there wasn't commerce. <laughs> he <laughs> did like it so good that inhale. she said, no, I can't take money from Isn't you. that like the funniest thing to say? Like, And then <laughs> Billy Idol to be like, there may have been six, but there wasn't commerce <laughs> like, <laughs> on Jay Leno. Um, but the people that I have named a lot because they're dead and it's fine to name them are Robert Evans, who, you know, the star of television, Paramount Plus is the offer right now. Um, <laughs> Matthew Good doing a wonderful job. Do you guys watch that I've, show? I'm like obsessed with it. I have not it. watched so it yet. Bad. I've not watched it it's, yet. Um, it's ter- it's I, genuinely I terrible. And it's like the death knell of art. Yes, that's what I'm watching. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Matthew Good. Uh, I did not know that, uh, that, a, uh, that a Gentile would be able to pull that off. He it's, also it's, plays it's Robert bad. Evans as kind of a, like, like I have a galaxy brain take on it where I'm like, it's good because it accidentally deflates all the Hollywood mythology by being like everyone sucks. But also it's like their Robert Evans is not that cool because the guy who made the show, Al Ruddy, who is the producer, who all the whole show is his stories of how The Godfather happened, in which everything good in The Godfather was his idea. And so he's the coolest, fuckingest guy in the world. And Robert Evans has to be secondary to him in the show. and he's making bad calls like, I don't want Pacino. You're crazy. No, get Pacino (laughs) out of here. And Al Ruddy's like, I don't know. Robert Evans, what if we let this young man take a chance? It's such an insane show. I can't stop watching. But it is also like I'm obsessed with it because it is like in the way that Heaven's Gate was the end of 70s New Hollywood because they were like, we spent too much money on this and it's not nobody's watching it. I think this is the Heaven's Gate of prestige television. It's like, I mean, honestly, <laughs> like it's mind blowing. There's a scene in this. So they got, they have like a subplot about like the Gallo. Oh, Columbo I'm so War. glad you're watching it. And uh, in one of the scenes, they show uh, Joe Gallo shooting one of uh, a Columbo underboss and he's got a shotgun and he goes to pump it. And instead of him racking the slide of a shotgun, he clearly just kind of moves his arms a little bit over a a rack that doesn't move. And then they do a sound effect of the rack being pulled. (laughs) He goes, he might as well have done it with his mouth like he was a kid. Playing, I'm just imagining Cops and Roger Roberts, and then he goes out, and of course it's a big uh, uh, CGI muzzle flash. They couldn't even have him fucking pump a real shotgun. It's he had uh, a fucking rubber stick that they had him go to. Uh, Everyone's I'm just, doing a crazy voice. Everyone in the show does a different, insane voice, and the guy who plays uh, Al Pacino does the crazy. Oh my gosh, it's, it's, it's like he's it's got back for the dentist. It's so it's such a crazy Uh, show. You know what? Actually, to bring it back around, I watched that show because I love um, bad Mad Men ripoffs. I was like, and that show is kind of like the main guy already. He's like, what if Don Draper, but like doesn't hate himself at all and has no darkness and is just the coolest guy who loves to have sex, and everybody thinks he's cool. But I watched that show, The Playboy Club. (laughs) <laughs> which was one of the first network Mad Men ripoffs. And it was a Hugh Hefner produced show about the Playboy Club, about how great it is to be a woman working at the Playboy Club <laughs> with a fake Don Draper named uh, Nick Dalton, played by Eddie Cibrian, who I'm convinced that Quentin Tarantino is the other person who watched this show and that that's where the name Rick Dalton in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood mm. comes from. However, what's important about this show is that it starred as the Playboy Bunny, Amber Heard. That was <laughs> the first place I saw Amber Heard and why I'm sort of loyal to her because I was like, wow, she's playing this impossible character who's like the hottest woman on earth with no interiority 
who just is like amazing at being a Playboy bunny. And she's doing a pretty Hold good on. job. Um, but I was also second. like, Hold on a second. When I when we invited you on the show, I did not know I would have we would be interviewing a defender of scamper fraud. A scamper fraud, fraud defender? Well, no, I'm not, <laughs> out of here. I'm not a defender. I actually I just wanted to talk about it for a second because I think it's like I've been thinking about it. I mean, I think it's like they're both bad. He's worse, obviously, mm-hmm. because he's yes. making it a show trial, but he's also using what you also learn from the Heidi Flies trial, which is that like people will turn on a woman who's like trying to to get some stuff in the world real hard, you know, and be like, how dare she fucking use her beauty and wiles to like put one over on old Captain Jack Sparrow. I, I, I want to turn the like you mentioned, um, you know, Charlie Sheen, of course, being involved in this and the fact that, you know, at like the, the height of his celebrity, he was dating like, you know, like the, the most well-known like uh, uh, porn stars of the time. And I'm just wondering, like, like, is it like another part of the story, like the weird sort of bifurcated entertainment industries that exist in Southern California between Hollywood and like movie movies and pornography. And yeah, like, and absolutely. Like the, and, and the weird way in which they are like totally like uh, on the surface hermetically sealed from one another. But like in, in no, reality, like thing. have this I mean, huge crossover. Like I and I'm from the Valley. I'm from I'm from North Hollywood, the heart, the cradle of the pornography industry. Um, and I wrote a big story when I was at Grantland a long time ago about the Adult Video News Awards. And then I went to the XBiz Awards pretty recently, or not the awards, the XBiz Conference, which is just the business conference, which I love. And I was on a panel about sex work in the media, kind of in advance of this, being like, yeah, people hate sex workers because they're like, how dare a woman be hot and like get money for it on some basic level. But when I went to the Porn Awards, my point, my idea of going was to kind of make a point of like, it's actually more progressive than mainstream Hollywood in like a million ways at this point because there's no money in porn anymore. And when there's no money in an industry, they let women and minorities take over because they're like, well, there's no, you know, the DVD boom is over. So like everybody in porn directs because there's no barrier of entry. All the porn stars become directors and producers and they all move up in the porn industry. And it's like very female dominated at this point. So I was kind of like, yeah, look, when women are in charge of like selling sex, like they know how to do it and they know where the boundaries are of what's work and what's not, you know, like, yeah, there was a crazy story about Chloe Cherry, the porn star coming on Euphoria because she's on Euphoria this past season and that like they asked her to take her clothes off right away. And she was like, um, I haven't even signed anything yet. Like in porn, when I take my clothes off, it's because it's like in the script, like people just have this insane idea about like sex worker you know just like that they're on all the time and it's like no they're on at their jobs and then they're not you know and so yeah i think it's like there's so much people in mainstream hollywood would just like were yeah they were buying sex for the his the entire history of hollywood and this kind of exposed that in a way that they were like uh oh because especially it was the 90s and it was the end of the 80s and everybody was trying to clean up and get off coke and rebrand as like progressive which kind of feels similar to now where they're like that's not a that's not what hollywood's like it's cool uh, now i, I want to get into like uh some of her like you know post like her post trial career and life but could you just like uh just just tell us briefly like you know like what went down with her like ar- arrest and the trial itself like you know how, to, how did that shake out and what happened to her yeah i mean the, i think the reason i brought up the amber heard thing too is it's just like this is when court tv started so it was the first time there was ever a 24-hour content cycle for anything 
which obviously is like everything now. And just the way that people could get addicted to watching a trial feed and the way people had this trial and the OJ trial on just like in public spaces all the time, they were just like both, it was such a big deal and this kind of like, I don't know, this weird parasocial involvement in people's lives where again, it's like, maybe it's that thing of taking the collective away back to the individual that we were talking about where it's like, let's just punish this one person and then, you know, the city is cleansed. And yeah, they, they they busted her. Her parents were also, because they were hippies, they didn't think her doing sex work was necessarily bad, you know? They were very like, we just want our daughter to be happy. Her dad got in trouble because he co-signed a loan on her mansion. And, you know, again, that's like a thing probably a lot of rich parents do. And he was just like, okay, I'm just trying to help my daughter. But her whole family like sided with her. They were like, we don't understand why the LAPD is doing this, you know? And uh, she like cracked a joke at them when they arrested her where she was like, this is why the city has no money is because you spend it all on on this raid, you know, shit like this. And that's just like, she's right. It's like in LA now that's constant stuff like this constantly happens where it's just like, why do you spend money on harassing and, and fucking up homeless people just a million times instead of spending that money on building housing, you know, just things that like are basic logic. We've tried this a million times. It just seems like L.A., it's like the cycle is always repeating, you know, because nobody ever wants to stop and learn anything from what's happening. Um, but like, you know, it's like the, the trial was a, a public spectacle. It was like it was a, a media circus. I mean, it eclipsed by the O.J. Simpson trial, obviously. But I mean, she she was convicted and did time for this. Eventually. Yeah, she was convicted. She did time. She had to go to a drug rehab. And then when she got out, it was the 2000s. And she... Uh, Made a new career. How, how long did she do in prison? She did, I think, three years. I think she was supposed to do six years, and she only did three. But it was also like the pro- the process of the trials and the retrials and stuff took so long that it's just like I think she was just a really broken person by the time she was all by the time she got out. You know, it's like okay, the uh, the thread I want to pick up from like her her post incarceration and then like sort of reintroduction to celebrity culture in America is that she went on celebrity rehab. Correct. Okay, so that's who should be in jail is fucking. Okay, Dr. yes. All right. Okay, oh my Molly, god, Molly, Molly, I want to thank you so much because, like, this is Doctor Drew Pinsky. In my opinion, is one of the most unheralded villains in American. He's such culture. a villain, and also, and like, I'm sorry, like he personally has killed more drug addicts than a Duterte in the Philippines. I could not believe. Okay, so that so celebrity rehab. I'd never watched it. It's still on VH1.com for the time being. Although I think VH1 is going down. So get it, get it while you can. If you want to be so depressed, the most depressed you've ever felt. Um, it's so dark. It's so fucked up, and. Dr. Drew's right there being like, this is good because, I mean, also Dr. Drew's like an L.A. radio guy. I'm also like interested in all these L.A. radio guys who then became like, now they're all like podcasters, you know, like Adam Carolla and and Dr. Drew did the show Loveline that was like the the relationship call-in show. That's, that's how I learned about sex. They give the worst advice, but I also found out recently every call was staged. <laughs> yeah. No way. Yeah, I mean, I guess it makes sense, but I was like, well, that makes sense. But also, like, like, I mean, in, in addition to like um, how unethical it is to um, do drug treatment for your patients on a fucking TV show, trading on their celebrity, like Dr. Drew is a genuine quack and like a dangerous he's a one, super especially quack. when it comes to like fucking issues of addiction. He's a super quack, and 
he does the craziest thing on. So the craziest thing about Heidi season of celebrity. So Heidi goes on fucking reality television, which is then what notorious people do in the 2000s. It's like a way to make money. It kind of makes sense for her. And also there's a whole episode coming up about how her cousin, Mike Fleiss, invented The Bachelor <laughs> and is another just like in, incredible, insane hustler. He's like a huge dirtbag. He's, he's kind of funny. But she uh, she goes in celebrity rehab and Dr. Drew, the worst fucking doctor in the world, decides to surprise bring on her abusive ex-boyfriend, Tom oh Sizemore, oh without God. telling her. And Tom Sizemore is uh, played by your very own Felix on Heidi World. So, <laughs> so yes, um, while you brought it up, and I think like one of the interesting things about your podcast is like this element of casting, and that there there is a cast of dozens of people that you have you know uh, selected to essentially voice the uh, like the first person like primary documents of the people involved in the case, including our own Felix Biederman as legendary actor and patron of sex workers, Tom Sizemore. What, could you just talk about Tom Sizemore's relationship with Heidi Fleiss? And what made you cat? What, what, what about Felix made you cat? Because to me, the Felix is the juice when it comes to Sizemore. Yeah, I just I, thought it would be funny. I thought the, the heat is the action. I, yep. I just, I thought Felix would be funny as Tom Sizemore. It made me laugh thinking about it. I, I did it's, a lot of- I was cast because I'm the opposite of him and the stuff that he does. <laughs> I mean, I did cast a lot of really nice boys as like the worst men on earth, you know, which I also thought was funny to do. So like, yeah, so Tom Sizemore and Heidi Fleiss dated and, you know, like Sizemore is, a, you know, a famously like unstable, abusive drug addict and lunatic. I don't I mean, if you get a chance to watch Celebrity Rehab, it's also crazy because it's like so they so they surprise her with her abusive ex-boyfriend at the rehab. Also, it's like she's not the most fucked up person at the rehab by any means. Because uh, some Gary other Busey was on that show. Yeah, Mackenzie Phillips is on it with her, and Mackenzie Phillips's stories are so crazy because she like started having sex with her dad right after that. It's just like she makes Heidi be like, "Oh my god, are you okay? Like, what the fuck?" Like Heidi, because she's telling all these stories about how her dad is John Phillips from the Mamas and the Papas. Um, yeah, like would like make her get drugs for him, and her and Heidi's like oh my god like i would never do drugs with my dad so again it's like a spectrum of parenting like heidi's parents were strict compared to mackenzie phillips's parents you know but yeah they surprise her with tom sizemore and what is crazy it's one of the most affecting things i've ever seen is that when she first sees tom sizemore she's not mad she looks at him with like unbelievable love and they look at each other with like it's like very weirdly romantic they look at each other and they're like oh my god oh my God, you're here. And they just like stare into each other's eyes and like hold each other and are like, I love you. And it's crazy. And then like three days later, she turns on him and gives this speech at their final like rehab graduation where she's like, thank you, Tom Sizemore for making me realize I'm a lesbian. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Owned. It's it's amazing, but it's like it's also you're like this is this is real. Like you shouldn't be watching this. Like this is these two, and it is like electric. And I can't believe they should never have put any of this on television. Uh, no, but seriously though, like look up how many of Dr. Drew's celebrity rehab patients have died shortly thereafter being somebody on died from rehab program. Someone died from this season, and and Heidi does a thing which is that she like won't do the group rehab. She just kind of like crawls off into a room to to dry out. And then they are like, give her shit for not like making drama, you know? And she's like, look, 
I'm withdrawing from meth. Like, fuck you guys. I'm just going to be in this room. Um, and somebody else has like a seizure and falls off the bed. It's fucking, and I, I just like, yeah, I had this episode coming up about 2000s reality TV. That was a real, a real treat to revisit the post 9-11 reality TV landscape of just fucking absolute ethical horror. <laughs> that era of like the 2000s in VH1 was truly, oh my God. like the oh, nadir yeah. of humanity. Well, like Mike Fleiss, who I'll get to, like Mike Fleiss started The Bachelor, but the thing he did before that was Who Wants to Marry a Millionaire, which was a huge scam yes. in turn because the guy wasn't really a millionaire. But before that, he was doing shit like world's greatest car crashes, like world's most violent <laughs> police chases. Like, I don't know if you remember the era of like oh, yeah, just I, I selling this, remember. you know, Girls Gone Wild just being an infomercial where it's like, basically, you know, he was trying to sell like snuff films and stuff. Well, yeah. I mean, what's good? Speaking about the cops, like, remember that the show World's Wildest Police Chases? Like, the oh, fact yeah. that everyone, like, this was an entertaining show that people watched and came away with it be like, boy, I'm glad the cops um, pursue everyone who flees in a car at 110 yeah, miles an hour. Even like, put, putting cops. everyone else's lives at risk. Like, I love that. Oh, um, there's you have fucking helicopters. You don't need to chase a car with another car if you have a that, helicopter. That Eric Andre bit about the theme song for cops being like... <laughs> like a reggae song <laughs> god i can't i can't stop thinking about that miami jewel thief where the these jewel thieves uh, hijack a ups truck and the cops oh, show up god, yeah and just start blasting while hiding behind occupied cars on the freeway using sp- people driving down the road as human shields to just unload into the ups truck and absolutely light up the hostage and kill him Apologize to the cops and tell them what a good job they did. I forgot about that. That was I that totally was forgot about that too. But that was I just fucking... think it's like this is a larger question, but like, is there anything that will make people take to the streets again? Like what the what the fuck are we doing here? I feel like there's I mean, a Kent state like every three days. The thing is, I, I really don't think you can separate uh what happened in, in the summer of twenty twenty from the reality of COVID and reality of, of people being really uh uh like quarantined for like extended period of times millions of people it was like fucking uh the 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 champagne bottle got shook up too much that then once that happens people are just like exploding outward but now what's gonna get people bottled up enough you well that's know? what i'm saying also it's like if all the attention like it did feel a little bit like the johnny depp and amber heard trial was a psyop but also yeah. in that same way like a referendum on two years ago to be like Hey, forget about all the stuff that just happened. Let's check out Johnny Depp's fucking horrible, yeah. you know, spousal abuse. Like it, it's also sucks, but it's like the kind of like the way that like celebrity and stuff like this is used as kind of like a carrot to dangle to take people's eyes off the ball to mix a lot of metaphors. Yeah. Um, I think the Heidi Fleiss trial is a really good example of that. And she kept saying it like, hey, why are we focusing on this? LA has a lot of real issues we're not focusing on. Uh, the schools are about to be shut down because of lack of funding. Who fucking cares if a bunch of rich guys bought some hookers from consensually? Well, I guess like, uh, my last question for you is: um, Have you uh, like his? Have you talked to Heidi Fleiss? Is she aware of you and the show? Have you had any? Kind I of haven't yet, personally? and I think I'm going to try to reach out for her for the finale. I was kind of like gonna wait i also just like i didn't know what kind of shape the show would take when i started and then when i just started getting into the research i had this idea of like reconstructing it because she said so much stuff at the time you know 
because she's on the record constantly talking about how she feels about it in the moment. So I was like, I'm interested in how she feels now, but I'm also just interested in how she processed this insane thing that was happening to her when she was like 26 and suddenly the most famous woman in the world and having to be sort of the front, you know, the face of a lot of fucking issues that she didn't really want to even be the spokesperson for. Yeah. And just like where we're at now with all this stuff where it feels like sex uh, sells everything more than ever on the internet too. And she says this thing in an upcoming episode about, yeah, like when she gets out of jail, she's basically like, my, you know, the world I came from is over. Like, madams don't need to exist anymore because now we have the internet and the internet is the madam, basically. Right? Like, if you yeah. want to broker sex, like, you could do it on Craigslist at that point. And now we're at a point where it's harder and harder for sex workers to do their jobs and to broker sex work online, which is the only place they can do it and, you know, have some degree of safety because of people like Peter Thiel being like, the banks don't want to take checks that, you know, are from sex workers. And it's like, well, you're taking checks for like, you know, war surveillance, which is objectively bad. Like, why, you know, why don't the banks want to take admit that they're brokering sex work at the same time that obviously the whole fucking Internet runs on sex? Like, like Instagram sells sex. And, you know, the reason that it's not decriminalized and the reason that it is marginalized in this way so fucking guys like mark zuckerberg can collect all the profits well yeah i mean like it's something you brought up in uh when uh when uh catherine interviewed you for uh l and like the question is like you know like uh, when it, the sex trade like leaving aside whether it should be legal or illegal or any like moral questions that anyone may have about this like i think the point is like what it really comes down to is not about like whether it's legal or legal illegal or moral or immoral or ethical or not the point is just that the question always comes down to is who profits from it and it right, does profits? seem like if it's men profiting from selling women, um, that that one way or the other, we look the other way. But it's like that door only swings one way for the most part. Yeah, 100 percent. And when she so then she went to Vague, she went to Parump, Nevada, outside Las Vegas. Um, Dennis Hoff. Dennis Hoff. Episode 10 is really fun uh, with all that stuff. But yeah, she uh inherited all these tropical birds from another madam in Las from Vegas. Stav's grandfather? No. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I think they came from the Tropicana and this <laughs> other madam gave her, so she started this bird sanctuary and uh, she tried to open a brothel for women and in libertarian well, she was, yeah, she was trying to run on like a like a stud farm, right? Yeah, she tried like, to open uh, a stud like farm. Who pleasure women, yeah. With men who pleasure women for money and parump, libertarian Nevada, they said, We can't have that. That's too okay, far. Wait, we have, in the county we wait, have a, in the county where, where brothels are legal. Oh, brothels are they, legal. Yeah, yeah. They Just, wouldn't let her own they wouldn't let her open a brothel that catered to uh women by They were literally like, It'll bring a bad element if we, like, What? bachelorette parties you know like that's too that's ethically hey, over the line women yeah, can't want, pay we, for we, sex it's a one-way transaction where men pay for sex yeah we, we yeah men. uh we we cannot have this one county in nevada turn into nashville tennessee i mean we, we've we've just been there we've seen the social anarchy that, that that causes and then she got out of the sex work business entirely and uh start she has a laundromat called dirty laundry in parump Somebody told me she has a an airfield, a private airfield that she lets people fly in directly to Parump when they're going to the Bunny Ranch for sex, going to the legal brothels. She's a hustler. She's still making money in some way or another because she just is 
somebody compared her favorably to a cockroach. They were just like, she cannot be like destroyed. And, and that's like powerful. Cause again, it's like the mainstream narrative about sex workers is like that. It's always bad, right? That something fucking horrible always happens. They always die. They always become drug addicts. Like if you go into porn, it ruins your life, all these kind of cliches. And it's like, you know, there's a lot of sex workers that that's like, obviously some people like do get, have bad stories, but it's like, People have bad stories in every industry. And yeah, this porn director said to me, she was like, there's abused women in every fucking industry in, on earth. You know, there's abused women in the most mundane industries, but it's only porn that people are like, everyone's abused. Everybody's so fucked up. Like they can't make their own choices. They wouldn't do this if they were like consciously choosing something. Unlike the regular entertainment industry where, you know, everyone, right? everyone who goes through that comes out, you know, always like, you know, smelling like daisies and never well, traumatized again, that or was fucked over my- Part of my larger theory is that, like, yeah, the porn industry is is not as exploitative as Hollywood because a lot more women are in charge of shit in the porn industry now. And, like, Hollywood, by and large, is still a huge boys club, even though it occasionally also, does, like, like, a little, like, front-facing makeover to be like, hey, look, we're not racist and sexist anymore. But then again, it's like then something like the fucking Will Smith and Chris Rock thing happens where everyone just reveals that they're, like, a psycho liberal like just want wants Will Smith to go to jail now, you know, like that was also just crazy. But you also said like for the uh like, you know, the 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 porn industry as it like you know, as compared to Hollywood, would you say it's like for the men and women who uh are performers in the porn industry, probably like professionally like have more of a choice over who they have sex with than uh, a lot of the people who try to break into the entertainment industry or work in, you know, Hollywood or TV proper? Well, I think it's just like there's no guarantee when you do casting couch stuff because, again, it's like, yeah, somebody might offer you, like, maybe I'll give you a job if you have sex with me, but they won't necessarily give you the job. I think um, porn is just like people, it's like the exploitative things in porn are usually happening on screen consensually, and that just, like, makes people lose their minds in some weird way, you know? It's like if you talk to porn stars and one of the big reasons I went to the AVN awards is because there's like a famous David Foster Wallace article where he talks about it, where he goes and just observes everything, but it's like, he doesn't talk to anybody. He just talks kind of, yeah, he doesn't talk to the porn stars. And I was like, I want to talk to the porn stars and see how the fuck they feel about it. You know, do they feel like they're being exploited? If they're telling you they don't, then like, why wouldn't you believe them? You know? And that's what happened with the Heidi Fleiss trial, too, is the girls were all like, I don't feel exploited. I'm doing this on purpose because it's better than waitressing. I'm making so much money. It's in a safe environment, mostly. And Heidi Fleiss is like taking like a manage a managerial cut. Like when you talk to sex workers, they're like, yeah, we just want like a safe place to do our job. And also like they want their work to be acknowledged as just work like anything else. You know, I mean, that's the big thing is that people think it's like well if you're having sex it must be like for fun it's like no it's their job and their job is to make it seem like it's fun okay uh, but before i close things out uh matt and felix do you have any uh final closing thoughts or questions for molly uh when do you need my tom sizemore line pickup spot oh do you want to do those do you think you yeah, could I can do those? no I, I i can definitely do those. just I if just you could do to. them like t- like this weekend that would be great because they're for the episode nine and i'd love to just like throw some more tom sizemore they're just like really crazy too i can do them by then okay cool that'd be awesome thank you no problem yeah aside from practical questions that we're still making the podcast which is definitely (laughs) 100 percent true 
yeah, it's just been it was it's just been fun. I mean, thanks for having me on to talk about it. I really appreciate it. Our pleasure. Well, I mean, we have, we have been talking about uh, celebrity and Hollywood, and I would be remiss if I, I wanted to end the show by, on a personal note, note uh, just like recognizing the passing of really one of our, the great American actors, Ray Liotta, died today or died last night. I found out about we've all found out about it today. Just God, Ray Liotta. I just like for me personally, like when I think about moments in my life that like changed it or that like is like a moment of like diamond clarity of like when my life like you know of like walking through a door it was the first scene in goodfellas when he slams shut the car trunk and the tony bennett rags to riches kicks in like a like a genuine moment that like opened up my mind like his performance as henry hill in goodfellas was like a truly life-changing experience the first time i saw that movie that like really opened up my mind to the possibilities of what like film was capable of doing and the, like really truly absolutely changed my life Ray Liotta just to, to his friends and family uh I hope you know that like like so many people like thought he was like you know a truly special talent I and mean, it doesn't it doesn't end with Goodfellas I could go on about something wild fucking uh Copland No Escape I'm probably gonna watch that tonight I mean Ray oh, Liotta it's just like he was a guy I love that you brought up Copland what a movie I love that movie he was a okay. you know like he he was such a screen presence and such like a like like a leading man, but like always having sort of like a character actor energy and like and 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 humor. And it was just like he was he, he never like he, despite looking the part, like he always had this like the, the, this energy that like um I, I don't know that was like sort of like um at, at at odds with like what a typical like Hollywood leading man would be. But like I said, like Ray Liotta as Henry Hill in Goodfellas, like was a like a, a truly life changing moment um for me just experiencing on his performance in that movie and what that movie means to me and really like so so many people yeah i mean honestly goodfellas was like the main inspiration for heidi world in a lot of ways because you know just even starting from like the first image i had of of the podcast was when the helicopters the police helicopters were coming for her at the top of the hollywood hills and she's all coked out of her mind and suddenly there's some helicopters like, also some helicopters yeah <laughs> suddenly there's like 20 police dogs you know and but also just the way goodfellas ma- takes takes a character takes a person who's like very much shades of gray and makes them you know the way he he does it he makes henry hill just like the most watchable person in a movie that also has joe pesci and robert de niro in it yeah you know like yeah just insane. But also, yeah, I mean, I, I, th- I think a lot about all these Scorsese movies, especially just in terms of being able to be like, this main character is not a good person. They're not entirely a bad person, but also we're not like endorsing or condemning them. We're just let we're just telling you this story. And that's like, how I feel and- about Heidi Fleiss is like, I'm not I don't want a heroizer. I'm definitely, a, you know, counteracting a lot of villainizing of her that was done. But the fact that she's so complicated is what makes her so interesting to me. And those are all the great characters. Right. And I guess like, you know, obviously like Goodfellas is, is like, you know, it, 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 one of the most iconic movies of all time. Like, you know, he, he never had another role that was like as iconic as Henry Hill, but I would just like to also recommend for anyone who has maybe never seen it. Uh, Jonathan Demi's something wild, which was Ray Liotta's like first real big breakout role that um, like led to Goodfellas. And you see him in that movie and something wild is a wonderful, wonderful movie. I highly recommend it. He shows up about halfway through the movie, 
And it is just like from the second he is on screen, changes the entire tenor of the movie and takes it off in a completely different direction, playing a genuinely menacing, unstable, but also quite charming and handsome sociopath. That's so like, I can, a, he's, he's like all the guys in Heidi world are like this. It's like, there's nothing I love more than like a really funny guy who's kind of scary. <laughs> yes. And, and Ray Liotta is both very funny and very scary in something wild. So it's a, 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 a sort of an unheralded uh, uh, film and not as many people talk about it like as good fellas, but I highly recommend Something wild. And once again, we'd just like to uh, extend my condolences to all of Ray Liotta's friends and families. He truly was God, Ray Liotta. May he rest in peace. Someone whose like, work meant so much to me personally. So I'd just like to end the show on that note and say thank you, Molly Lambert, for joining us. The podcast is Heidi World, featuring guest appearances by Felix Biederman, among many others. Starring Felix Biederman. <laughs> as Tom said. In, in my opinion. Uh, Molly, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, letting me talk over you guys. That's our job. Anytime. All right. Cheers, everybody. Bye-bye. I know I'd go from rags to riches If you would only say you care And though my pocket may be empty I'd be a millionaire May still be torn and tattered